Titania, Puck and Oberon and some seriously rude mechanicals come to life one midsummer's night in San Francisco in Chris Adrian's truly stunning reimagining. Along with this novel, he's written two others and A Better Angel, a frankly brilliant short story collection, and I don't say that lightly. Uh, he is also a paediatric oncologist and a student of divinity and an overachiever. Um, he is the third of the New Yorker's 20 under 40 writers to appear here. And I'm really thrilled to say that he's making his UK debut here tonight. Please welcome Chris Adrian. Thank you, Damien. Um, and thank you, everybody, uh, for coming. I'm going to read a, a little bit from the novel, um, which is a retelling of a Midsummer Night's Dream set in San Francisco uh, a couple of years ago. Um, the uh, rude mechanical part um, in this version is played by uh, five homeless people um, who are staging a production of a, uh, a movie, a musical version of a movie called Soylent Green, which um, in case it uh, was not um, the blockbuster hit in the UK that it was in the US, um, I'll tell you a little bit about um, before I start reading, just because some of the, um, the, uh, the, the action depends on um, a very basic working knowledge of the movie plot, which is that uh, Charlton Heston um, plays a private detective of sorts um, who is charged with investigating the murder of a prostitute in the year 2030-something, maybe, um, uh, at which point the world is more or less run out of food. Um, and he discovers um, to his horror that uh, the major food corporation that hands out biscuits called Soylent Green um, uh, to people uh, and is the, the, the major form of people's sustenance is uh, made of people. Um, and he very famously at the end of the movie runs through the street um, shouting, Soylent Green is people. Um, which is, uh, is funny if you're in the right state of mind when you watch <laughs> it. Um, so the homeless folks in this, uh, in this novel um, uh, stage this production. They're rehearsing it because they want to stage it for the mayor of San Francisco, who they believe is uh, murdering homeless people and turning them into food to feed to other homeless people, which um, neatly to his mind or to their imagining of what he's thinking um, solves the, the homeless problem in San Francisco, which is significant. Um, the uh, other thing I'll um, mention briefly, though I'm not sure it comes up, is that uh, Charlton Heston's best friend, a man named Saul, um, dies uh, at a, at a state-sponsored euthanasia institute. Um, the other thing I should say, um, finally, is that um, uh, Titania, um, as in the play, um, is enamored of the, the chief of the mechanicals. Um, his name here is Huff. His companions are Hog, Mary, Princess, and Bob. A one, said Huff, and a two. A tiny man dressed in a paper bag and monocle was still running to hit his mark. Don't make me count to a three. Rehearsals were underway, and though time was short, there had already been two false alarms about the mayor's return. They think he's coming to the park. The players were, were all industrious, and the addition of the mayor's ever more numerous defectors was a piece of edifying good fortune. They did whatever the lovely lady, Titania, told them to, but Huff wondered whether the grand necessity of the project didn't also command their loyalty. It had seemed grander by the hour the additional players made it possible to perform a much more complicated entertainment, 
Now there were more songs and more scenes and more things happening in every scene, and Huff felt like a hundred little tentacles had erupted from his head, each one topped with an eyeball and equipped with a clever little satellite brain, because it felt like he was doing a hundred different things at once, writing dialogue or lyrics or humming out a theme or choreographing a new step, and yet the whole time he was sure as well that he could never take his eyes off the lady. Princess had her highlight baskets back, and the industrious defectors had copied a dozen more pairs and added them to the hulking costumes of straw and grass to turn the largest among them into fair semblances of backhoes and bulldozers. Now they danced in a blocky mechanical step, squaring off in musical confrontation that the fleshly were destined to lose. It was a sad scene and a sad play, but Huff explained carefully when the little man he called Mr. Peanut, because of the size and the brown color of his bag and his monocle, said he was accustomed to singing happy songs and didn't see why there couldn't be one or two in this production. Happy songs, Huff said, were not going to move the mayor to vulnerable, regret-stricken tears. You may as well try to wring tears from a stone as from the beast, said Mr. Peanut. Faith Faith, Huff shouted at him. He shouted it a lot, all through the rehearsal, because impossible as their task seemed, he was feeling better and better about it and had confidence in the power of artfully executed musical theater to change a person's soul. Six hours ago, before he had met his lovely lady friend, before the world and the musical had become peopled with strange creatures, little and big, before his crew had been gathered and become outfitted with a new enthusiasm, before things had suddenly started to fall into place, he had been more of a doubter. He hadn't liked to admit it, but he knew it was possible that they might be arrested or killed or turned into stew before the first transfiguring bar was sung and that the mayor might be deaf to their effort and unchanged by it. They might all be wasting their time, just distracting themselves before they became burritos. But you might say that about anything, he said to his lady. You might say that about life in general, that we are all just distracting ourselves before we become burritos. I don't care for burritos, she said. I don't like them either, he said, those burritos of futility and despair. Though I have eaten them over and over down to the last bean and stale tortilla numen. But people who believe that it's all for nothing deserve to have it turn out all for nothing. But it is all for nothing, my love, she said. We've already lost, and there's nothing left but this lovely delusion. I am reduced, and you are dead already. Enough of that talk he said, and stopped her mouth with a kiss. They retreated behind a bush to make out more discreetly, though not for very long. The clock was ticking the seconds away to the mayor's return, and there was barely time to properly rehearse, let alone make out. And yet it was necessary to explore the boundaries of her mouth with his tongue, since they might be in prison or worse when morning came. Come away, my love, she said, pulling at his belt and beckoning him behind deeper bushes. Duty calls, my lady, he said, and led her out to the next scene. Short on time, but long on players, they were rehearsing multiple scenes at once. Five cells scattered around the field, waiting for Huff to come inspect them or participate, since he had taken the part of Ty Thorne for himself. So when they had walked a few, a few yards down from where the scoops were dancing aggressively around the food rioters, a joined princess who'd put down her baskets and put a rose in her hair for their pas de deux around a corpse. Hog in a suit stained with bloody berry juice. Excuse me, my lovely loon, he said to the lady, and fancy stepped over to Princess. They joined hands over the body and released, each of them turning away and kicking a heel up backward just as they brought hand to mouth to bite the knuckle. 
Then they each threw up their hands at the sky and threw back their heads as they stepped lightly on the balls of their feet, circling the body and singing. There's been a murder here, a murder. Mr. Fancy Feast is dead. Murder most foul, murder most fancy. Who killed him? Was it you or you or you? Huff blinked at the sky open above the walls of fog and full of stars and then brought his head forward to point with his eyes as well as his fingers. You or you or you, that was just a preliminary motion meant to tenderize the listener a little before the sharper jabs came later. He and Princess pointed accusatory disco fingers, now at the crowd and now at each other, and Hogg rose up to join them for a dramatic three-person tango, sternly and somewhat sexily, charging them both to solve the mystery of his death. Before the day is gone, baby, before the play is done, honey, find the truth, find the truth. Then he lay down again on his back and put his arms and legs in the air and shook them vigorously before he let them drop with a thud. Don't shake like that, Huff said. You look like a bug. But turn your head to your side and make your eyes bug out and put your tongue out a little more to the side, precisely. A lovely dance, my love, said the lady. Such grace. How can it be tolerated on the hill or under it? I dance in my head all the time, Huff said, when I'm trying to fall asleep, as a bit of flame or a tampon in the wind or a pony. And tonight it's as easy to do it as to dream it. Well, she said. They retreated to the bushes again to nibble each other's nipples for a while. His were brown and fat, but she praised them sincerely. Such beautiful buttons, my love, she said. Hers were so perfectly formed in such a lovely shade of rose he could hardly believe his eyes when she parted her dress. He brought out a pen light, the better to see them with, <laughs> and stuck it under each breast, looking to see if, if they were real. Do you wish for them to glow, she asked. And then they both did, <laughs> with a light that was so warm he could feel it on his face. Forgive my doubting, lovely lady, he said. He put his face between them to make a joyful little speedboat sound. <laughs> he had almost been arrested once for lurking in a laundromat to press his face into the piles of warm laundry and now he knew what he had been seeking when he did that the ideal experience of which pleasant as it was was only a degraded iteration do pinch them he said muffedly of his own nipples raising his hands up on either side of her and snapping his fingers like a pair of castanets he looked up to see her smiling down benevolently on him Perfect, he said, because she was pinching just hard enough and no harder. And who can ever do that at first pinch? <laughs> but even through the perfect pleasure, he heard the strains of music and voices arguing. Duty calls us, he said, and bowed three times, once to the left breast, once to the right, and once to her face. Shall we have a part two, he asked her. And a three and a four, she said. We could have endless days and nights, my love, if this weren't the last night. But pleasure has a way of lengthening the hours. I've always found it shortens them, said Huff, and cold nights are longer than warm ones. He closed her dress and took her hand and led her away from the bushes in a dance so everyone would think they were merely rehearsing back there. Thank you. And they're, they're like the only straight people having sex in a bush in San Francisco. Um, you stopped just, I mean, it's, just, bef just after that, they, you know, they take it beyond the nipple tweaking. There's a lot of sex in this book, and we'll come to that um, in a minute. Uh, just to, to kind of explain a little bit more for people, um, on the, this particular Midsummer's Night, 
uh, three mortals wander into Buena Vista Park, which is a, which is a real park. And w uh, having been there, I was realizing, thinking a lot about it when I, I can visualize it. Um, and Time they, they go there on this magical night. And how do you say Titania? Titania, um, <laughs> in this country, um, and, and, and her fairies are living under the hill, and they're, and they're, having, they're having their Midsummer Night's uh, feast, um, and she is grieving for the loss of a boy, um, and Puck in this, in this extract, which was read, is the mayor, Puck is, and Puck is a monstrous figure, Puck is not good in this book, um, and um, I, I'm just doing a little bit of an, an overview, is it right? Is it, I haven't missed anything Absolutely. so far. Okay, fine. Um, okay, so I, I wanted to know, because um, generally I hate magical realism, um, and this book I loved. And, I, and one of the things I loved about it was that San Francisco seems to me the only place where this book could happen. Now, what's, what's your relationship with the place? Um, the, uh, well the, the city was certainly a big part of how the book came together, and that park in particular, um, which is a, a, a funny little park. It's um, engineered very carefully to look like a little wilderness. It sits in the geographical center of the city on a, on a uh, relatively high hill, um, and I have always lived in the shadow of it in whatever neighborhood um, I've lived in, and I had to walk through it back and forth to get to work um, for, um, uh, for about five years. Um, and uh, it's, it's not hard to look at it um, and, and wonder if funny stuff might be going on in there. And it turns out that funny stuff is indeed going on in there, um, especially uh, after 10 or so. <laughs> um, um, and, uh, but the, you know, I, I had that in the back of my head, and it's, um, it's sort of a short stretch of the imagination from the, the fairies that are amusing themselves in the park to having fairies amuse themselves in the park. To fairies with an E. From fairy FAI to um, FAE, no, um, absolutely. So occasionally, radical fairies yeah. infiltrate the park, and they think they may, they may put an E on there just for, just effect. to be difficult. Mm -hmm. um, you, um, you're, you came from Paris today to, to do this. What are you doing there? Uh, I'm teaching um, a group of terribly underprivileged American children oh, who uh, go to them. Paris for a month to learn about writing with New York University. Um, and you tweeted this morning that you brushed your teeth with moisturizer, and now you know the French for toothpaste. I do. <laughs> Are you, you're learning French while you're there? Uh, yes, we're remembering, uh, having, having flashbacks to high school French, which was a very long time ago. Um, it wasn't that long ago, come on. Uh, okay. The slang has changed. Even though the, the textbook slang has changed, which I think, which I think means something dreadful. Um, so you did, uh, I'm very intrigued, you did an English degree first and then you did a medical degree, which is a fairly unusual progression. How did that, how did that come about? Was there kind of... You know, what, 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 did you have doctors in your family, or did you just think, oh, I'll do medicine? <laughs> um, uh, I do, there are no doctors in my family. My sister's a vet, though she went to vet school um, a long time after I went to med school. Um, but uh, my mother made it very clear when I was young that I was going to grow up to be a doctor. She gave me a toy stethoscope when I was five and told me, in no uncertain terms, you're going to learn how to use this and like it. Um, uh, though by the time I actually was old enough to start um, th thinking seriously about what uh, about making preparation academic preparations to go to med school, she changed her mind um, uh, and uh, wanted me to uh, to to go into um, something along the lines of um, uh, applying permanent makeup because she was really interested in having permanent makeup. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite extreme. She could just have gone to a salon. 
not like this, this kind of salon. Um, I should add, actually, in this, in the, in this book you talk about, because one, one of the characters goes to a salon in the book, and he says that he was really concerned when he, when he got there that it would just be fancy people shoving Fabergé eggs up their asses. <laughs> Um, and that hasn't happened here yet, I'd just like to say. Um, the pizza's uh, not here. No, exactly. Um, but, um, so so, so you, went, you, did the, you did the English degree, and then, you, and then of your own volition, you went to medical school. Okay. Should we, we shouldn't call you, call you doctor, Chris Adrian, no? Please, no. No? Only Please, an, no? Ang angry nurses call me doctor. No, okay. No so you're still practicing. Uh-huh. Okay, so you're teaching the, the underprivileged Americans in Paris, mm. um, and, and then you're going back to San Francisco to do pediatric oncology, which is... Sort of. Kids That's with my, cancer. Uh, my, uh, my, my most recent medical job was, fin was doing a, fellowship, a training fellowship, learning to be a pediatric oncologist, but I m m I've just finished that and have uh, managed to get a, a year away from it, more or less, to uh, go to move to New York for a year okay. um, and do a very non-medical job um, as a, a research fellow in the New York Public Library. Um, is that because, I mean, the... the Titania, um, her loss that she experienced is the boy that they abduct mortal boys, the fairies, um, and the boy that she loves who dies of leukemia. And it's very harrowing, it's very difficult, and the doctor in there is very powerless. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm reading it, and, I'm, and in another of your stories, there's, a, there's Henry, the, the, the gay doctor, is a working in pediatric oncology, and I'm thinking about you, and I'm thinking, is he writing what he knows, or is he writing who he knows? Uh, probably both, to, to some extent. Um, that uh, you know, the, I, I say that the novel wouldn't have been what it was without the the city of San Francisco uh, and the uh, and Buena Vista Park in it. But it also wouldn't have been what it was if I hadn't uh, uh, started out learning to be a pediatric oncologist um, and uh, and if I hadn't met uh, the children and parents that I that I met. In particular, one set of parents and one child who were the inspiration for. Um, for the, the scene in the novel um, uh, where uh, Titania and Oberon bring their, their changeling child to the hospital um, to be diagnosed with leukemia and ultimately to, to die there. And then there's a sense as well, I mean, um, in which, in which, the, which the, the doctors, because um, also in, in A Better Night in your short stories, these doctors aren't, you know, powerful, white-coated men um, or women who can cure and can fix and have the science behind them. There's a sense in which they're confounded and are powerless, and I wonder how you feel about your doctoring. Uh, confounded and powerless. Okay. Um, uh, <laughs> Don't be uh, seeing him <laughs> afterwards. You won't be taking appointments. Uh, though, um, it was the, uh, uh, though I, I think everybody uh, feels that way, especially, you know, depending on your profession and, and how honest you are about your emotional reaction to, to the work. But uh, the uh, doctors who, I, who get presented in the stories are sort of grotesque um, iterations of my anxiety about, uh, about being a, a bad doctor or a bad, bad person in general, I guess. Um, and uh, there's, I think, the, the, for me at least, there's something about their grotesqueness or the uh, extremity of their confoundedness um, that makes me feel a lot better about going back to the real world where I'm not allowed to... Um, Be uh, as bad as they are, yeah. Um, and your, your time in divinity school, now obviously it's essential to be gay to get into divinity school, but do you Harvard. need to be a Christian? 
<laughs> uh, some places. Um, and Harvard, do you? Uh, I mean, what's it like? Not. Actually, no. it helps a lot to be. Uh, uh, it's only if I. Uh, it only could have been better if I were if I were a lesbian <laughs> um, to get into Harvard. It turns out to be uh, though it, uh, it was the oldest divinity school in the U.S. Um, and started out being a very Puritan place, um, but has evolved into a, a place where there's an, an atheist club. Um, there's an atheist club in the divinity school. Uh, so you don't have to be religious uh, necessarily. You, you have to be. I think you, you have to be fascinated by religion to go there. Or you you were you were raised Catholic. It was okay, uh, and took it very seriously up until I was twelve or thirteen or so. About the same time that I uh, that it became inescapable that um, or it became ob- obvious and inescapable that I was gay. Me too. Let's do this. Great. At which time it was much harder to feel at home there. Yeah. Um, and so you're going to you're going to go back to the states. You're going to continue doctoring. You're also going to continue writing. Um, what, what are you working on next? I had heard about a children's book, and I was thinking, how dark is that going to be? <laughs> <laughs> For the children who are about to die, we're going to give you a really harsh book about it. Um, There's uh, a couple of things I'm working on. One is that children's book, which is about a little girl who uh, goes on a mission for the devil um, to save a boy. um, uh, To buy candy. (laughs) Who um, uh, is determined to kill himself. Um, And uh, it's something I've been working on for a while that actually was almost was ready at one point to be seen, or I thought it was. It made the round of Mm -hmm. a number of children's book publishers, and the common refrain was, what part of the story did you think was suitable for children? <laughs> um, uh, so there's that. There's a collection of short stories um, that I'll be researching next year about Puritans and a, a graphic novel about... Um, How will uh, you be researching the Puritans? Are you going to go live among them? Um, no, where are they now? No. Um, they're, you know, they're there. Yeah, they're not really, I guess they're at Harvard still in a really funny iteration. Um, they're in the Atheist Club, actually, <laughs> if you uh, believe it or not. Uh, but I'll be, uh, that's what I'll be doing at the library is reading a lot, lots of books about Puritans. Um, and then this graphic novel, which is about a lady who uh, is the sort of mistress of, she's cheating on her husband with the demon who possessed Linda Blair and the exorcist. Um, and her children are by this demon, and they, they, sort of, they start to figure that out as they develop strange powers. There's a, there's a gr- I mean, one of the stories I love most in this book um, is called A Child's Book of Sickness and Death. And it's about a really twisted child who's, who's, who's gone back into hospital to have treatment that she has to have periodically. And what's brilliant about her is, is that she's, she's essentially she's essentially, oh, she's an adult and she's very self-aware, but she's incredibly young because of her illness. And, um, and I think the thing that, that, that saves uh, for me so many, um, from, from many of these stories from being either twee or from being uh, uh, whimsical is this empirical reality that's so believable about the, what, what these children and what these adults are living. Um, and it, was this girl based on a, on a girl? She was? Okay. Uh, she was. Um, yeah. you know, and oddly, it's or not... Um, you know, you've, brought, from, you know, you've brought up the two, two examples where I really did base a, a story or a character on a patient, uh, though for the most part, they're all they're combinations of, uh, of patients or even the staff members. Um, though my, my, the head of my department set me down for a stern talking to after she read my second novel um, <laughs> because she recognized her, herself in there. But that one was a, uh, a young lady who uh, had lived in the hospital for most of her life because she had an um, intestinal disorder that made, uh, made it impossible more or less for her to absorb food 
she had to be fed through her veins, um, and that always necessitated a hospital stay. Um, and I, uh, her, the encounter with her was the first time I felt like I had betrayed a patient's trust. Um, and you know, when I tell the sort of objective, um, tell it to the star chamber story, it all sounds rather, rather innocent, but it didn't feel innocent um, to me at the time. And telling the story was a sort of a, a long, complicated way to try to apologize to her. Because she's in love with the gay doctor that's, that's kind of not aware of her. She, um, she does write uh, herself. Um, she writes stories, really creepy, dark stories about animals, which nevertheless are hilarious. Um, see the bunny, she has high colonic ruin, a very fancy disease. And see the pony, she has dreadful hoof dismay. Um, and, and, uh, and on the stories go. Um, I will take a couple of questions now, Sylvia, of course. You don't have hoof dismay, I can see. So the, the, the question for people who didn't hear was um, that Chrissy's, uh, in, in both of these books, and in particular, um, in The Great Night, there's a, a, a theme of lost brothers, lost boys. Um, and Chrissy's brother died when he, he was 20... Uh, he was 25, I was 22. Okay, so in, in, the, in the writing of those stories, did you, how were you exploring? Was it therapeutic? What was yeah. Um, uh, Sylvia asked if it made it made things better at all, and I, I don't think it. Um, you know, ultimately it, it didn't. Um, I have a hard time explaining the way it. You know, it certainly felt I felt compelled to write about my brother's death for the first. Um, you know, it was almost all I wrote about um, for the first ten years or so that I was writing, um, and it's not a coincidence that there's a dead brother in almost all of those stories and in most of uh, everything else I've I've written. Um, I don't think it makes things better, but it changes things somehow. Um, uh, you know, there are um, folks who, who you know, think about writing as therapy in some ways. I don't think of it that way. I think it, it cheapens both disciplines to, to describe uh, writing or therapy that way. Um, and yet, uh, there is something that's different on the other end of, uh, of a novel um, that's en engaged uh, compulsively in, in, in that sort of configuration, uh, consideration. The novel ultimately is about a, a young man who builds a machine to bring his brother back to life, and it doesn't work that way, but he, he gets something different um, that turns out to be somehow, um, uh, somehow equivalent in some ways, and I guess I, I feel that way about the, the, whole, the, the whole enterprise um, in general. Okay. Um, I want you to thank Chris Adrian um, very much. <laughs>